All right, so we begin this morning, and we continue our series on the book of Acts, and we're calling it Rise Up. So as we begin, I, I want to ask you a few questions this morning. Uh, the first one is, are you going to Dad Fest? It's in a few weeks. It's on Father's Day. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're not, would you register uh, so that we know how many people to provide awesome barbecue for, okay? Uh, there's some more information that's going to come up in just a little bit uh, later on. The second question I have for you is, have you ever, show of hands, ever heard of the name Spartacus? Anybody ever heard of the name? Yeah. People in the front row, like, yep, that's me. Uh, smart people sit down in the front, right? Right? Okay. Spartacus, he was, <clears throat> he lived in um, probably around 100 BC. He was executed in 71 BC. And, and Spartacus uh, was a slave, a Roman slave who turned gladiator. The Romans had thousands and millions of slaves in their empire. And they knew that if the slaves ever would revolt, they would be in big trouble. So Spartacus became a gladiator. And when he became a gladiator, they got nervous. And so what they did was they mercilessly executed him. And when they mercilessly executed him, they executed him and every single one of his followers. And what they do to prove a point, the Romans did, is they would <clears throat> put the bodies of every single one of his followers stretched along the roadside of the road leading into Rome and let their bodies just rot as a way to say, look, don't mess with Rome, okay? Whatever you're thinking, forget it. And then what they did is they paid the Roman historians large amounts of money to slant the story so that Rome looked even more powerful. It's like the first fake news <laughs> right there, okay? And um, they did this, and that's why you know, now you know why Spartacus is what it is, and you know the myth. Now here's another question for you. How many of you know or have heard of the name Jesus Christ? Sit, raise your hand. Yeah, many of you have heard of the name Jesus Christ. And, and it's remarkable that you've heard about him, and here's why. He was a nobody from a no-two-bit town called Judea. It was an armpit of Rome. He is there, and he lives there, and he only lives to the age of 33. Yet there's four different accounts written on behalf of Jesus. In fact, there was more written about Jesus than any Roman empire, which is we may think could be the greatest empire the world's ever seen. How in the world do we know about Jesus, even though, you know, like there was no paid historians to write about him? I mean, it's unbelievable. Here's one reason. Eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses of Jesus helped us today understand who Jesus is. In fact, this one guy by the name of Luke would write the account of so many eyewitnesses, and he draws these accounts together, and he writes the book of Acts. And as we've been learning um, through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, Jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection, and then they take to the streets. And the eyewitnesses of Jesus take to the streets, and they start telling the world, hey, you got to know about this Jesus. And they tell about his resurrection, and then they begin to follow the teachings of Jesus, and things are never the same. And a movement begins. And the church is just on fire, and, and, and the movement is... Is unbelievable. But as the years progress, something changes. And, and what changes is, is the church ceases to lose uh, its movement-like proportions. It, be, it loses its mission, it loses its values, its vision, and it turns inward. And when the church turns inward, it becomes mean, it becomes um, missionless, and it loses its entire vision to begin with. And when that happens, some things maybe like this have happened, and maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you were in a church, and your parents got divorced, and the church didn't know what to do with it, so you felt like an outcast, and eventually you left that church because <clears throat> the church treated you terribly. 
Or you're in a church, and these people over here in the church didn't like these people, all right? And those people didn't like these people, and they just fought constantly. Maybe it was the color of the carpet, or it was something as trivial as that. But you know, the only time that these people and these people ever liked each other was when they wanted to vote out the pastor. And they would all get together, they'd vote out the pastor, and then they'd go back to fighting amongst themselves. And maybe you're like, you know what? I'm washing my hands of this church. This is ridiculous. Or maybe you had an experience in church where your neighbor who did not go to church was nicer than the people in the church. And you're like, why would I go to a church like that when my neighbor is nicer? And a lot of you are like, yep, that's exactly right. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I say this all the time. Look, we're not a perfect church, but we are a healthy church. And here's what we want to do. We want to keep our mission and vision focused on seeing lives transformed by Jesus, by the resurrected Jesus, and we want to live by the teachings of Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus loves everyone. It's simple, isn't it? But it's not so simple. And here's why it's not so simple. Because we are inundated with things that are wrong in the world and in our in community. The 24-hour news cycle. It hits our phone. It hits our Facebook. It hits our internet. It hits our TV. It hits our, now the billboards are electronic. Everything shows us on a continual basis that there's all kinds of wrong things going on in the world. And it becomes just completely overwhelming. I mean, there's starving children in Africa. There's the uh, sex trafficking epidemic. There's drugs in our own backyards. There's fatherless children. Uh, There's marriages breaking up. There's relationship woes. There's all these things happening in our own community and around the world. And if that's not going to be worse enough, then uh, in our own lives, you know, so-and-so's going through a divorce, or so-and-so just found out they have cancer, or so-and-so can't get work through this. <clears throat> there's this issue going on, there's this issue going on, and it continues to build and build and build. And I'll just be quite honest with you. At one point, I, I, like, I don't know what to do. I just get overwhelmed by all the stuff going on. Even though I want to make a difference, even though you want to make a difference, you don't know where to start. You get overwhelmed, you're like, whoa, like, where do I even begin? And then on top of it, your life is struggling. And then that's like, oh my goodness, I can't keep my own life together, let alone my own uh, community's life. And then there's, there's a world going on. We just heard about a London yesterday. We're praying for London, but it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And if you could sit in my seat as a pastor on a daily basis, all of the different needs that fly into our office doors and, 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 and all around us, it, it's overwhelming. It didn't used to be like that. At least we didn't know about it as much. I mean, back in the day, you only knew it was wrong right around you because the only way you got news was the newspaper. But now it's 24-hour, 24-7, all the time. And what it can do as a result is it can just make you go, whoa, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything at all. Oh, as we look at Acts chapter 3, it's going to tell us something that we can do. So if you have a, a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, would you turn to Acts chapter 3? And let me tell you this, whether you are young or old or wealthy or poor or, or whether you are any different uh, skin nationality or anything here today, there is something for you to do out of Acts chapter 3 that I hope you'll be encouraged by. So Acts chapter uh, 3 verse 1. If you don't have a, a tablet or a smartphone or your own Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. We'd love for you to use that Bible. And if you don't own one, take it home with you. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and let me read it for us. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, 
where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, we know this. This, this guy, we're going to call him Bob. We don't know his, what his real name is, so we're just calling him Bob, okay? Bob, every single day for 40 years, was placed at this specific gate. And this specific gate was a beautiful gate. Why? Because it was made out of bronze. Therefore, it was called the gate beautiful. And if I were a beggar and I was in that day, I would want to sit next to the pretty gate. Why? Because it made us be kind of like the VIP gate of the temple, okay? So there he is. Bob has his spot. You don't touch Bob's spot. He's there all the time. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Almost as is to say, look, we see you, now see us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. So picture it with me. They're in the temple, or outside the temple, my bad, and there's thousands of people all around, and they're all crowded around, kind of like it would be maybe like at Derby time, at the Kentucky Derby. There's thousands and thousands of people in a small confined space, and it's kind of awkward. It's like you can't get anywhere. You know, the restroom lines are way too long, and you're, everyone's a little hot, and everyone's a little frustrated. And in the middle of it all, Peter and John, they see this man, and the Bible says that he's lame. Now, the Bible uses the word lame, not the way we use the word lame. We would use the word lame to describe the Chicago Cubs play lately. That would be lame. Okay, I'm still grieving. Okay, but they, the Bible uses the word lame as to describe a man who cannot walk. So this man cannot walk. He's there. He hasn't, he's been there for 40 years. There's Bob and they see him. And here's something that we kind of get a glimpse into. They're not overwhelmed by the need that's all around him. Was Bob the only beggar? No. Was he the only one person that was in need? No. But what they do is they teach us a principle that I want to teach us today that I believe that could change your life, that could literally change someone else's life, and could change the world. Okay, here's what I want to teach you today. To reach everyone, start with one. To reach everyone, start with one. Say this with me, okay? Ready? One more time. To reach everyone, start with one. And that's exactly what they do, don't they? they're overwhelmed by the need. And what they do is they start with one. They start with one individual at a time. And, and, you, and you can see that when they say, look at me. Look, they say, look at me, Bob, the beggar. Look at me. Because they start with one individual. And, and here's what I also want to share with you today. It can be overwhelming with all the needs around us. It can be quite... Um, crazy to think about all the things that need to happen in our life. But when we, wanting to reach everyone, start with one, it becomes tangible. Now, here's the deal. If you're not overwhelmed by all the stuff going on in the world, and that's not you, that's just me, and that's maybe someone else here today, you may be kind of uh, landslided or, or suffer from one other thing, and that is the fairness doctrine. And you've been indoctrinated with this theory since the beginning of your life. And maybe it kind of went like this. This is how it went in my life. I was young, and my mom uh, was in the kitchen, and I went to the freezer, and there was just a little bit of ice cream left. And we had a kind of a, a motto back in our house, if you kill it, you refill it, okay? And I was about to kill the ice cream. And I said, Mom, can I have that ice cream? And she said, no, you cannot have that ice cream. I said, why not? She said, because if I give it to you, I give it to what? I have to give it to everybody else. How many of you in your lifetime heard that statement before? And here's what I said. Well, I thought at least, no, you don't. No, you don't. You can give it to me. It'll be our secret. 
just between you and me, Mom, we can be unfair, right? How many of you have thought that before? Like, no, we can't. it doesn't have to be fair. Where do we get the idea that everything needs to be fair all the time? After all, God, he wasn't fair with his grace and mercy for us, was he? We didn't get what we deserved. Why do we think that everything has to be fair? See, to reach everyone, we have to start with one. And here's how I would, I would look at it. I wouldn't really look at it um, as we're trying to be fair to everyone. I would look at it more like we're in a battle. There's a guy by the name of Desmond Doss, and they, wrote a, they wrote a, made a movie about him called Hacksaw Ridge, and Desmond Doss was a medic, and he would go on to save 75 soldiers' life from imminent death. And here's how he would save 75 soldiers from imminent death. One story at a time. One story at a time. He would see the need. He would see the issue going on, and he would drag that soldier to recovery. And then he'd go out and he'd save one more. The guy didn't even have a gun and he would do this because he knew that to save everyone, he must start with one. And it's amazing when you begin to just start with one, the story you begin to understand. Everyone has a story here today. There's a college student maybe here today and maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend just broke up with them and they're going through things and they don't even know what to do. Or maybe there's a family who's in financial need and they may have to mortgage their house because they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. Or maybe there's a single mom or dad here today that is overwhelmed with all the things and having to keep up with kids and how to provide. Or maybe there's a person here today or there's a person in your community who is struggling with HIV and they've been mistreated and they've been kicked to the curb or, or maybe there's a, a person who's been married for a long time to an individual and they just found out that their husband or wife has come down with a terminal cancer and they cannot sleep at night I mean the stories everyone has for those in front of you or behind you beside you in this room and around this community when you begin with one the stories begin to unfold so let's look at what happens when they reach one. Verse six. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up and instantly, the ma- instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. It's unbelievable what just happened. A miracle takes place. And we see miracles throughout the book of Acts. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But when you start with one, you're able to get out of the kiddie section and deep dive with an individual. See, if, you, if they would have just simply have said, you know what, we're just going to give everyone just a little bit of money. They, they, they never would have given, been given that opportunity. They never would have been able to deep dive with one. They just would have settled with just a, a mere penance with everyone. But no, they, they deep dive. Peter goes deeper than what he could have by just trying to reach everyone. And they introduce him to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're taking notes, I want this is kind of a little side caveat, okay? And, and I want to teach you about miracles out of the book of Acts because this is not the only place that the miracles happen. Anytime you see a miracle in the book of Acts, there's a couple things that we can note, okay? The first one is this, that miracles legitimize the life and ministry of Jesus in the church. Back then, they they were to say, you know what, this isn't a joke. This Jesus is real. Scripture in Hebrews talks about how the miracles and signs of Jesus' life and the miracles afterwards, they, they point back to Jesus. 
It was done in the power of Jesus' name, and that's what gave Peter the, the ability to heal this man. It was Jesus who healed him, not Peter. Here's the other thing. This miracle, <laughs> this miracle literally made a man walk like that. How long does a toddler take to walk? One to year, two years, right? But it took him instantly to walk. It's unbelievable. And then the third thing that we can, uh, or no, I'm sorry, not the third thing, but another thing is that from these healings is, does God heal today? Well, I want to say, yes, he does heal today. Does he heal all the time? No. Did he heal all the time back then? No, he did not. Second Timothy, you have uh, Paul, and there's a guy who is sick, and he continues to stay sick. Jesus didn't clear out all the hospitals, did he? But he did heal specifically, and I believe he does today. Do, does, do I believe in every single healing uh, medical claim that I hear? No. But do I believe he still heals? Yes. Have I seen he God heal? Yes. Is he going to heal you? I don't know. And we have to be okay with that tension. Otherwise, we fall into areas where, to be honest with you, I don't believe the Bible teaches. Should we pray for healing? Yes, we should. Should we also trust God in whatever he gives us? Yes, we should. The second thing is this, that this healing promised restoration. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about how the lion and the lamb will sit side by side, and that is future restoration. That is future healing. This last week, I was sitting with a, a, a one most dear couple, and she is struggling. She cannot walk, and she wants to walk again, and they're going through all these horrific uh, illnesses. And I prayed that God would heal her right then and there. But then I also reminded her, I said, you know what, if God doesn't heal you now, he will heal you in just a few years. And she said, you know what, you're absolutely right. And I believe that with all my heart. Another thing that this healing teaches us is this, that we need physical healing, but we need spiritual healing more than anything else. We, we, we need spiritual healing. And here's why. Because all of us in this room could physically be healed by some way or experience some physical blessing, but that's ultimately not going to provide the contentment and happiness and, and satisfaction that our soul-level gut satisfaction really needs. And here's proof. How many of you today came walking in here today? Show of hands. On your own two feet. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you have been unhappy in your life? Raise your hand. Exactly. My point is made. You see, at the core level, our soul satisfaction, the most important part is our spiritual healing. And that's what this man goes leaping and running away from. Not only that he's physically healed, but he's spiritually healed. And here's what God wants to do. Because we all sit outside the presence of God, just like this man did at the temple. And we need spiritual healing, which is his grace and his love and his mercy. And we're able to go into the temple gates to experience his, his presence. And then we're able to stand on our own two feet in a relationship with him after we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and experience God and who he is and praise him just like this man did. And I want to ask, are you soul satisfied today? If not, we'd love to dialogue with you about this man named Jesus. So Peter and John, they're there with this man. And this man has just been healed. In verse 8, we continue. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I love this, and we should all love this. And here's why I say that. You have this man who for 40 years has been begging, Bob, he ends up following them into the temple, and so-and-so sitting in the corner, and they're like, psst, hey, wait, 
isn't that your neighbor? And he's like, yeah. This is not, we don't know what happened, okay? I'm just kind of adding ad-libbing here. They're like, that's Bob. Bob's walking. Hey, Bob is walking. Look at him running around. He, he, look at him, he's, he's dancing. It's unbelievable. Bob is walking around. Everyone's like, yeah. And, 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 and obviously a crowd begins to form because Bob's walking around. And then it's at that moment that we, we, we understand a few things. First of all, that, that a transformed life is a great defense of Jesus. And also we understand this, that sometimes unanswered prayer, not sometimes, all the time, unanswered prayer is an amazing thing. What did Bob ask for? He had asked for a few shekels, hadn't he? And what did he get? Something he didn't know, but what he really ultimately needed. Sometimes unanswered prayers come in the most unbelievable ways. And then here's the other thing I want to share with you this morning. And that is this, that when you reach one, it opens the door for others. Peter, he just can't help himself. There's a crowd. What does he do? He starts preaching. He starts sharing about Jesus. Look at it with me in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He's pointing the finger at them. He's like, you were the one that killed the man that just raised, that just raised this lame man up. He's kind of pointing the finger, and they don't like it too much. But Peter's saying, look, if, if Calvary was man's last word, he said the empty tomb was God's last word. Then he continues, We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the power that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as does your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And then in verse 19, he says, repent. It's not a word we like. Know that you're wrong and turn. Turn back to God so that you'll be refreshed. Turn back to God so you'll have a relationship. Turn back to God so that you will understand soul-level satisfaction. And then he goes on to talk more about that. And then he mentions um, Abraham in verse 25. And he's bringing in Abraham because he's, he wants them to understand the Abrahamic covenant, which had been made in the Old Testament, to connect these Jews who understood this because Abraham was the patriarch um, in, in their life. And he said, look, God had said that the Abrahamic covenant, through the Abrahamic covenant, that, that the world would be blessed, and now Jesus is going to bless the nations through a relationship um, with him as he gave out his grace and uh, as we put our faith in him. It's unbelievable. I was connecting all the dots. And he says, look, the movement continues with repentance and soul-level satisfaction, Jesus Christ. And here's something I want you to think about for a second. For 40 years, Bob the beggar had literally done life as normal. And then one day his life changed. And you know why his life changed? Now, it's all in God's sovereignty, but somebody got the holy discontent to say enough is enough. Somebody had a holy discontent to say, you know what? I've passed by this guy long enough. It's time for me not to just try to reach everyone, but to start with one. When he started with one, 
Bob the beggar's life was changed. And when his life was changed, my friends, that is when Peter was able to reach more. And in turn, they would reach everyone. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I want to ask this question this morning. When will you and I get a holy discontent for those in our life? When will you and I say, you know what, enough is enough. This is enough is enough. I'm going to start with one. I'm not going to be inundated and I'm not going to get overwhelmed by trying to reach everyone. I'm just going to start with one and I'm going to start now. Peter and John just had 3,000 people come to know Christ. They were the first mega church in history and it would have been easy for them to be like, you know what, we're good. This blew us away. We're done. But like, no, the mission must go on and the holy discontent continues. And, they, and Acts says that, you know, by the end of that day, there was 5,000 that were added to the church. 5,000. And here's the deal, folks. When will our day come when we'll say, you know what, enough is enough in our own community? When will we stand up, not by sitting in a seat and reading about something maybe we've learned from childhood or maybe it's new to us, but when will we start to be a part of the solution? When will we say, you know what, in order to reach everyone, it starts with one. Because that's why I do what I do so that we will not just be a crowd, but we will be an army. You know, and, and I want to ask you this. Why not? Why not us? Why not this church? Why not now? Why not we start in this community right where we are, and we start with one? If every single person started with one, this community could be completely and utterly transformed. Formed. I want you to feel mobilized and empowered this morning. So in order to reach everyone, start with one. And there's so many ways to do that. You know, we're doing that through church planning in Pittsburgh. This fall, we'll hopefully take a mission trip. There'll be more information to come. We're going to plan a church in Pittsburgh because it's one of the most unreached churches in the, or the cities in the United States. We're also going to start playing neighborhood campuses in local towns and local areas through Indiana and Kentucky. Why? Because 80% of Indiana and Hoosiers go to church nowhere on Sunday. That's another way we're going to, we want to reach one person at a time. And, and just so that you know, yeah, look at that map. Wouldn't it be cool for us to see neighborhood campuses all over our region? The G's represent local mission-minded churches just like us who are a network, like we're one house with many rooms that were on fire to reach their community. The exponential results could be unbelievable. And here's the fun thing. Today, in just a few minutes, it's 11.19, I think. That's what at least my monitor says. And, I, and, I, and it, the clock is ticking for me to end, so don't worry, okay? But just in a few minutes, it's going to be noon. And what happens at noon is there's a church voting in our area to, uh, with a vote of confidence to be our first neighborhood uh, church campus. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, yes, we want to join Graceland, and they're doing it at noon. So would you pray? Would you pray that they would become our first neighborhood campus so that we could begin what we would love to see happen? But that's not the only way. You can reach just one through children's ministry here. You can, one child who needs to hear about Jesus and needs to, to, see, to see a life that, that it loves Jesus, or it could be one student in our student ministry or through your group, or if you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. Why? Because you can reach just one. Or it could be through the marginalized in our area, or it could be a, an, an orphan who you could uh, take in as a foster child or adopt one, or it could be a widow, or it could be a single parent, or it could be at Hazelwood Middle School, or it could be at Slate Run Elementary. We're going to be um, uh, taking all of the kids in Slate Run Elementary, and we're going to be renting our facility 
uh, behind us to them all of next year. And it's 300 and some kids on our campus every single day. That could be your just one. It could be through Celebrate Recovery. There's a million different ways for you to reach everyone by just reaching just one. So who's your one? It's going to take a deep dive with them, and it's going to take time. But who's your one? It doesn't take anyone genius. It doesn't take anyone who's arrived. It just takes someone who's willing. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? There's a little girl, and she was walking along the beach, and she happens to come across a whole beach full of, of starfish. So she bends down and picks up one starfish, and she tosses it back in the water. She bends down another one and picks it up and tosses it in the water. She continues to do that. And this crowd of people are watching this little girl, and they're kind of perplexed. And they're perplexed because they're thinking, there's no way that little girl is going to get every single one of the starfish in the water. And this one uh, older man walks up to her and says, young lady, you know that you're not going to be able to save all of them. And she's a little bit disappointed. She's a little bit discouraged. But then she says this, well, I just saved this one, and I just saved this one, and I just saved this one, and she keeps going. And the man is overwhelmed, and he is completely challenged. And he starts joining her, and she's throwing starfish in the water one by one. And then people start coming down to that area of the beach, and they start doing it, and every single starfish are saved. To reach everyone, start with one. Let's rise up.